Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm John Hare. And this is Renee Hare. On today's episode, we talk to a Clinton Anderson certified professional clinician, Diego Gaona. Diego was certified as a Clinton Anderson clinician in 2015. Diego grew up in a family of horsemen. His dad actually competed in the Mexican rodeo. What events did he like to compete in? Uh, well, we do the, the Mexican rodeo, so there's several different events, but his main one uh, that he really enjoyed was uh, it's called the Path of Death. In, in Spanish, it's Paso de la Muerte. The Path of Death, basically, you have a team of guys, and you're in, like in a big, probably 300-foot round pen. You have a team of guys, you have usually three, three to four. You have your horse, and you're riding bareback all you have is, is a bridle and you have a wild horse that has nothing on it that she comes out of a chute and when she comes out of the chute you basically you run alongside her and your job is to jump from your horse to her before we get to diego we wanted to get you up to date on one of our past podcasts talking about endurance riding if you remember our friends Paul and Donna Schilling are endurance riders, and... We were pretty intrigued by it, and they invited us to a weekend of camping and endurance riding with them just to get a feel for it. We trailered over to uh, San Antonio Lake, which is on the coast, central coast of California, for a weekend of riding. They supplied the heart rate monitors. We supplied the horses... <laughs> we supplied nothing. <laughs> they, were, they were very nice to us. They fed us and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we supplied the horses and our saddles and um, our enthusiasm. <laughs> the, uh, the trailer ride is about three hours over yep. there. Mm-hmm. And San Antonio Lake had suffered the last four years, five years with the California drought. And for the la- and last year was actually closed because of a lack of water, but with the tremendous amount of rain California received, everything seems to be healthy and growing, and the lake was open again. It wasn't as high as it has been in past years, but it was very pretty and and full. And San Antonio Lake is a great place to take your horses. They have an arena, a round pen. And just tons of stalls. They and campsites. They're yeah. I think they well have set up. About 500 campsites. I estimated about 80 horse pens. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. It looked like they did some roping events and things of that nature there too. Mm-hmm. It was a nice big arena. And right adjacent to the campgrounds, there are some very cool trails to ride. We left home Friday morning and got over there early afternoon and set right off fairly soon on just a small loop, a three-mile loop with Paul and Donna, just to get us sort of accustomed to their horses' gates and speeds. They ride Missouri Foxtrotters, and we have our two flatland quarter horses. (laughs) And I had worried about being able to keep up with them, and I was right. (laughs) They move at a, a pretty good clip. Paul and Donna do, and... Java was the go-getter. Java, Java and Sunny. They yes. move at a pretty yes. good yeah. clip, yes. And uh, we found out what it was like to, to travel on at a, a very high rate of speed, which we did, and it was, you know, we... 
It was exhausting. It was, <laughs> it was three miles, and it was a lot of up and down. They didn't think it was that strenuous, but heck, we ride on flat canal banks most of the time. <laughs> so Dusty and I thought it was fairly challenging. You know, it just it goes by so fast that you're just covering ground at such a speed. And then we were in a new environment, too. So you, you, it was really difficult to kind of look around and enjoy things as the lake's on the right and there's kind of rolling hills on the left. And You wanted to take a picture, and I think they thought you were crazy. <laughs> you can't stop and take a picture. Oh. We're endurance riding. It was a great experience, though. That was The following day, we did an 11-mile ride, which I thought... What... 11.7. <laughs> Eleven point seven miles, <laughs> and I felt a little bit more comfortable because Jesse and I got to set the pace. We all were also wearing heart rate monitors on our horses, which provided a fascinating piece of data. If you're into numbers and nerdisms, and probably only people who start podcasts are that <laughs> nerdy about things, but it was really fun watching the horses' heart rates and how they how long it took them to get their heart rate up and then how long it took them to recover and it was a f- kind of a fascinating experiment to see what kind of condition that our horses were in i even found it interesting and i'm not all that into numbers <laughs> <laughs> we w- it would break down each mile we wanted to set a goal of 10 minute mile when we were doing 12 minute plus miles paul thought we were dawdling yes so I think he said to you that it was really nice to get under that 10-minute mark because then if something did ha- happen that, that held you back, you'd still come in on time. We would get to a water trough, and of course, so we had to get off our horses, open up the water well, trough. Well, we didn't. You did. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And, and everybody let me <laughs> and give the horses water, let them uh, graze a little bit, which was kind of weird for us because we usually don't let our horses graze when they're when we're riding them, but we did because it's an endurance thing. It's an endurance thing, and then we'd get back on, and we got lost a couple of times, so that slowed us down because the. I think that was the point seven. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, yeah, that's probably <laughs> right. Uh, like I said, San Antonio Lake had been closed for a couple of years, and then all this grass grew, and all the markers had. Kind of been a lot of them had come down and had been trampled upon, and mm-hmm. so we had a little bit of a problem finding our way, but we did. And you can't get lost, there's fences everywhere, for goodness sakes. But and a big lake, right? <laughs> we did save our best pace for the 11th mile, and that we got under 10 minutes. We was like nine oh seven, nine something, yeah. yeah. And we had to canter a little bit, and that was, I thought, that was a, a lot of fun. And that was coming back into the camp and was a little bit more of a flat trail in spots. Right. So that made it nicer for the faster speed. And we do feel now, we feel confident that our horses could go 12 to 15, maybe even 20 miles on a long endurance ride if we we, we hope to participate one in the fall. Because can we brag a little bit? Sure. Our two quarter horses well, recovered their heart rate better than those two foxtrotters that that do those distances all the time. Yes. I was pretty impressed. Once you stop, the the goal is to have your horse's heart rate get back under 60 beats a minute. And Paul and Donna would say, okay, start the timer and see how long it takes them to get under 
well, they're under, Donna. What? In less than a minute. Yeah. And they were probably back down to their resting of, they were running mid-30s, mm-hmm. right? 35 to 37. They were back down to that within two or three minutes. Yeah. So they weren't as fast out on, in the field. Maybe we can improve on that, but they're... Their conditioning was good. So. Was good, yeah. yeah. Their horses were probably so high because they were just so frustrated at having to go so <laughs> slow. <laughs> <laughs> to stay behind Jess. <laughs> Why is she going so slow? But it was a great experience. It was a lot of fun. And we would recommend giving it a try. And if you're in California, San Antonio Lake is a, a wonderful place to camp with your horse and, uh, and then trail ride too. Mm-hmm. And now... Down Under Horsemanship, professionally certified clinician, Diego Gaona, on the Woe Podcast. Good morning. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. And yourself? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Are you in Texas? Yes, sir. Yeah. Just uh, actually this past weekend, I was out in uh, Big Bear doing a clinic out there and then just got home last night back in Texas. Very cool. How did that uh, clinic go? Very well. Everybody, uh, everybody did a good job and made very good improvement. Um, so it was, it was good. They were, they were getting a, it was a little warm, so they were getting a little bit tired. But overall, everybody did a great job. Was that a three-day clinic? Yes, sir. And was that a, a setup clinic, or did those people arrange for you to come out there? Yeah, they, they, there was a, uh, a local riding club there. They kind of organized it and everything and, and put it together and arranged for me to come out. I had done a, actually a private lesson with them at their house last year. They had mentioned that they wanted to, to have me back and, and to have more of a kind of a, a public clinic. It was more of that type of a setting. Still a small group of people, but overall, you know, you had some spectators and stuff like that. Well, very cool. How How old are you? I'm 23. A lot of the guests that I have on the Woe podcast are considerably older than 23. Not not all of them, <laughs> but but older. And we talk about their life with horses. And you're, from my point of view, you're you're really just starting out, but you've been around horses for a long time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's just now starting. You're absolutely right. And uh, you know, it's it's a it's a journey. You know. It, it goes and it goes, it goes and goes. But yeah, I was I was fortunate. My dad was was big into horses and still is, and uh, he always had me around horses at a young age. Very cool. Did I understand correctly? He was in uh, the rodeo. Yes, sir. Yeah, he he competed growing up himself, and he he was more on the competitive side. And then and then you know pretty much when he got a little older, things slowed down a little bit. But he always had had me around that stuff too it was always cool they always had a team together and in his late teens early 20s you know that was that was a thing you know to every weekend you're you're hauling somewhere and you're going to right to a rodeo somewhere you know what events did he like to compete in oh well we do the, the mexican rodeo so there's several different events but his main one uh, that he really enjoyed was uh, what's called the Path of Death. In, in Spanish, it's Paso de la Muerte. The Path of Death, basically, you have a team of guys, and you're in, like in a big, probably 300-foot round pin. So it's a, it's a, it's a good-sized round pin corral, arena. You have a team of guys, and you have usually three, three to four. 
you have your horse and you're riding bareback. All you have is, is a bridle and you have a wild horse that has nothing on it. But she comes out of a chute and when she comes out of a chute, you basically you run alongside her and your job is to jump from your horse to her. And of course you have, <laughs> you know, you have, you have some variables with that. <laughs> oh, a, a few, I would. <laughs> so, uh, oh, goodness. you know, that, uh, it, it was very much an adrenaline rush. Say, you know? <laughs> and for one, you know, you, you don't have any, any control really. You just, you just sitting on the horse. And right. usually, you know, when the horse feels, feel something jump on them, you know, they want to, they want to stop and start bucking, you know, that's the first instinct, you know, cause they try to, they try to get them pretty wild. So right. it's pretty hard to, to stay on them, you know, that's more of the, more of the challenge, more, you know, the better the score. So, so the winner is the one who lives through that experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that's the very big thing is you have to have your team behind you to keep making sure the horse moves forward because, you know, the oh, more yeah. the horse moves forward, she can't buck as good. I mean, she can hop a little bit, but she's stretching out more. It's easier to ride right. rather than if she, you know, stops and starts going straight up and spinning, you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. It's a little bit harder. So you have your team that tries to, you know, keep pressure on the horse behind to keep moving forward to use that momentum to hopefully stay on. And, of course... The trick is you have to dismount and land on your feet. If you don't land on your feet, well, no score. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but then you grew up in Mexico around all this. No, I actually, I grew up just here in Texas, South okay. Texas. Uh, um, but every summer we would go and spend several weeks in Mexico. Uh, my grandfather, he's been gone for over 50 years now and he knows a lot of people and uh a lot that's kind of how we got in uh into the into the rodeos down there and just that's you know it's more of a national it's actually their national sport down there kind of like oh, you know wow. football is to here it's, right. that's their that's their main sport is this these rodeo events you know it's there's so much culture and, 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 uh, history behind it all. You know, it's, you know, here, a lot of people, we just do it for fun, but over there, like I said, it's, it's more, it's more of a real deal. So, you know, it's, and it's grown over here now, you know, the, the teams I've heard of, you know, there's teams competing up in Chicago and I'm just like, what? I never wow. would have thought that, you know, they, they make it. What got you interested in, pursuing down under horsemanship right before i was going to finish high school i started going to to ride with this gentleman that my dad was really good good uh friends with and he actually worked for his dad so they're they're pretty close his name was porky garcia is what everybody called him eight his real name is aj garcia but everybody called him porky so mm -hmm. anyways he was uh he's a team roper uh, but he trained a little bit of everything and uh, I started to go on a ride with him and just kind of surround myself, I guess, more of the, of the horse industry in, in a training aspect and kind of got to see, you know, the, my first hands-on training program. And that kind of got me, me wanting to say, you know what, you know, maybe this is, this is what I want to do for a living. 
Mm-hmm. I started taking some horses on at home, just some local people just offering, you know, anybody, I would just load horses for like two weeks. Then, uh, you know, I started, wanted to learn or, you know, really start finding finding out what I needed to do with these horses when I got them in. Do more than, than just, just a little lope circle. Yeah. <laughs> That gets boring pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, one of, I remember this lady, she sent me a cult, a two-year-old. You know, it was like my first two-year-old really ever starting. I was really in need for some some help. My dad did a lot of traveling at this point with, with work and stuff. He's in the oil and gas industry. Uh-huh. When he was home, he would, he would give, me, give me some pointers and things to work on. And but then I'd kind of be on my own again for a while. I started looking up YouTube clips and uh, just general, you know, just searching for general horse training advice. Right. I'd come across all sorts of all sorts of different videos. And then my dad was at one time watching the RFD TV, and uh, there was some horse training stuff going. On. I can't even remember who it was at the time, uh, but there was some horse training stuff clinician going on and uh, it kind of got me hooked so I started trying to watch that show a little bit from time to time when it would come on and sure enough Clinton's show came on I think he was doing a demo on Ralph Penning I really really liked it and uh, it just made a lot of sense really you could see he was getting results I I wanted to wanted to give it a shot and I did and sure enough you know it, it worked so at that point I was sold. I had to. Uh, I had to buy the the halter and lead rope and stick and string. Right. <laughs> Everybody starts off from the basics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And then you did you get the DVDs and start studying those? Yeah. Well, first, what happened was is after I got the halter, they sent me. I think it was. I think it was just like a catalog with all the products and stuff. Right. In that catalog, it had the uh, advertising for the academy program. And so as soon as I saw that uh, academy deal, I, you know, wanted to do more research and I dug into it more and and found out what the requirements were and the requirements, you know, I had to had to go to a clinic and have had to own the the fundamentals kit and the intermediate kit. And obviously study the material and, you know, learn it as much as, as much as I could beforehand. But I think the clinic, like when I found out about the program, the clinic was maybe six months away to actually sign up. So it was kind of all in one year, just found it, you know, found out about it and jumped on as soon as I could. And that's a crash course in studying uh, both the fundamentals and the intermediate kit in six months yeah it was i watched a little bit of the intermediate but i mainly just focused on the fundamentals because i knew that's that's what i was gonna that's really what i was going for was to be you know certified at the fundamentals that was kind of my goal and it came so quick before you know it you know and i remember i remember showing up to the clinic and they you know it was the day before it actually started so I got my horse out and I was, you know, working um, in the arena and there was a couple other people working their horses and I'm just watching and I'm watching people work and I'm like, oh man, these, some of these people look really good. Like they know what they're doing. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is going to be tough. <laughs> what horse did you take? Uh, 
had this little gelding. It was a seven-year-old gelding um, out of one of my dad's all-time studs that we had for years growing up. Real pretty sorrel. He was a tiny little horse, but he was he was real athletic, and we still got him. Actually, he he just turned out in the past. He got retired right after that. <laughs> and did you decide to take him because he was a tough horse, or that he kind of appealed to the method real easily, and you could show off your your stuff, maybe? Yeah, I I think I think uh, you know he was just he was real willing and very very easy. Uh-huh. You know, he just he wanted to work. It was like you say. It was easy to to show off his athletic ability, and it. I don't know. I just I felt I felt very comfortable with with that, you know, and and it worked. You know, it's a lot easier to work with your one horse that you know, right? The inside and out, you know. But then once you get there, it's all you know a variety of horses all of a sudden. Exactly. And I think. Uh, that was, you know, that's that's a big transition, you know. So, if that's something that somebody wants to do, you know, to to become a clinician or be prepared to work with a lot of different horses, you know. I think if I would have had a better, you know, if I would have just had more horses going into it, I think I would have had a better, more more confidence, I guess. You know, when I first started, yeah, I've kind of made that that point a couple of times that, it, particularly for a recreational rider, it's really difficult to learn all the horsemanship principles because you get to know that one horse so well, and you know, exactly. you know, it's, it's like dancing with the same partner. You know what moves they're going to make almost before they make them, and they know what moves you're going to make, and and you don't get to deal with a whole lot of well. What just happened there? Yeah. You know, weird problems. Exactly. And so when you joined the the academy, that was a, a 70 week commitment. That's a year and a half. That's quite a, a commitment to make to move to to Stephenville and go through the academy. Was yeah, no, absolutely. It was a big, you know, and I think it was just so because everything was so new, and especially like to my family. They hadn't really heard much about horse trainers, big time horse trainers, and they're a little unsure. Like, well, is this is this a real a real deal? Can you really make a living doing this, or or do you need to be going to college? There was a little uncertainty there with how it was going to work. But I think once I I got there and started going through the program, it everybody just you know started to see okay you know how serious this was and clinton on on videotape i mean i have a a lot of his dvds that's that's one thing because he can't really yell at you through the tv and even if he does it doesn't it doesn't hurt much but when you're right in there in his presence that's got to be challenging uh at times too was there ever times where you thought you weren't going to make it through the academy the 70 weeks (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah that was there were times where you're just like, holy cow, just how, how am I still here? You know? And then, <laughs> you know, I mean, Clinton, cause that's, that's the thing. He, he's going to try, he's going to push, he's going, he's going to push you away to see how, how much you can handle. Right. Because he wants to, to find out what, you know, do you have, do you have it inside of you? There were times, absolutely. I, you know, I think the biggest 
helped was just having a team, you know, having the guy like, you know, Luke and Jeff. Right. Luke Lundahl and Jeff Davis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just having your your bros, so to speak, you know, just helps helps you get through those tough days. And that's what we tell ourselves, you know, it's not forever, you know, and things, <laughs> things did get better. Things did get better, you know, it's part of it. It's like, like Clinton says, you got to go through the ugly stuff to get to the good stuff. And what was one of the more challenging moments that you had during the academy? I think you know just dealing with like a a serious problem, a serious problem horse that you get in that like has maybe a a really bad bucking problem or something like that. You know, where it's just a it's a very stressful six to eight weeks or however long the horse needs to stay. There's a lot of pressure on getting the job done in the short amount of time that we can get it done. I think Clinton knew. He knew how to read the situation very well, so if the horse, you know, needed to be in training with somebody else, he could make that decision. Or, I mean, he and he would be very much involved too. I mean, you know, especially if there was a problem, you know, he'd be checking in with me, and I'd be constantly giving him updates and keeping him involved because uh, you want to make sure it goes as smooth as possible. We live in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood, and I don't speak Spanish very well, but the the guys are very friendly, and their horses are all, all extremely well-behaved. But their, ta- their style of horsemanship dramatically from the down-under horsemanship method. And you were you spent some time in Mexico. Did you see a difference in the type of horsemanship that was being done, uh, the Hispanic style of horsemanship? And did that go over well when you started doing the method? I mean, were people open to those two different styles? You know, I think, uh, you know, the the horsemanship is just, uh, it was very much, just not as much time in, in, in waiting with certain things for a horse to figure something out. You know, it was more of, no, you're going to do it right now. You know, that's why it looks more of an aggressive approach because it's just, you know, and that's just us as as nature. We don't. That's just instinct. You know, we're predators naturally. So we, when we want something, we walk right over to it and get it. You know. Right. So I think you know we just kind of have that natural approach as trying to force the horse to do it, rather than really get into the horse's mind. And I think nowadays, and obviously going into Clinton's program, that you really start breaking it down and trying to get to the horse's mind, and not just physically wearing the horse out or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, more and more people are, are definitely seeing that. When I started going into this this way of, of training, I think a lot of people were, you know, very open to it. You know, I know a lot of people, a lot of people still do contact me for, for advice or stuff like that. I think it was a good transition. And nowadays, uh, they're just so much open-minded to, to new techs and techniques, and it's just expanding the horse training in every in every discipline. It seems. Right. You became a professional in 2015, and you you do speak Spanish. Do you travel to Spanish-speaking countries and and share the method? I currently I have not uh, actually traveled out of out of the country teaching yet, um, but I do have some uh, some interest. I was there last year for just for vacation. We got to see some people that were involved in in, in the horses and everything, and they they want to organize. They plan to try to get something organized. Right. I mean, they're they're definitely 
definitely is some interest for sure. But uh, I know, like Jeff, he's going, I think he's going to Germany here soon. So I know even in Europe. So I'm sure Spain, you know, hopefully right. one day can get an opportunity like that. Very cool. So you went through the academy and I had the pleasure of being a volunteer at four different walkabout tours over the years. And I know that there was a time when the clinicians had to help out at the walkabout tours. What was it like going to your first walkabout tour with thousands of Clinton Anderson screaming fans? I bet that was an eye-opener for you. Oh, my goodness. It was, I'll never forget calling home and saying, you guys would not believe it's like a a rock and roll concert. (laughs) It's just huge. I had no idea because I had never, when I first got introduced to the method, I had just seen stuff on TV and went to a clinic and, you know, I'd never been to a walkabout tour. Going to my first one was just like, holy cow. You know, you just when you go and start unloading all the semis and stuff, it's like, man, this is the real deal. You know, this is a Broadway show with Eddie. He has like four (laughs) semi trucks. Do you remember your, where, where your first one was? Oh yeah. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Anything else you remember from that? Other than the fact that it was, you know, at that point we weren't uh, having to do any demos, you know, so, Mm -hmm. you know, we would sit in the the stands and just try to basically brainwash ourselves listening to Clinton and just, you know, really focus to everything he said and study his teaching to the public. And that was the cool thing is that was my first, first experience on really trying to handle myself as like a salesman because during the breaks and stuff you're you're trying to help sell products it was a big eye-opener you know I really had to learn all the products and and how they're made and every length of every string and stick right just really make sure I I could uh handle myself well in front of the public and there's a lot of public there you deal with hundreds of people who come up to you and 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 they'll ask you all different kinds of questions like rapid fire. So you might get one question on horsemanship and then somebody else wants to know how long this breast collar is or whether that saddle will fit on its pony or not. Exactly, exactly. It was a good experience, I think, learning all sides to the business. I mean, it was uh, it was a big eye-opener to see how, how there's just more to it than, you know, riding horses every day. Right. Uh, let's get to maybe offering some advice to people that, are working with their horses on a daily basis and the recreational rider. In your experience, what do you think the the biggest challenge is for most people when they're working with their with their backyard horse or their one their one horse that they have? You know, the biggest has got to be you know just being able to be consistent mm-hmm. and trust and being able to trust that their program, whether you know whether it's Clinton's or not, trusting the program really follow through. Mm-hmm. And have a game plan. You know, it's I tell people that all the time. You know, when you go ride, don't just get on and go. You know, have have a game plan of what you want to work on. I was helping a lady with uh, trailer loading this past weekend, and I was telling her if if I have a trailering problem, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that the next time I work on it, I have a couple days that I can get to it in a row. You know, just right. really be a thinking a thinking horseman of what you're trying to get done and if at all possible be consistent 
through any challenge they're having. You know, that'll be the biggest biggest help. Again, whether you're using Clinton's program or not, just try to be consistent with your program. I think that's really important because a lot of times people will, sometimes horses just take longer to learn and people get impatient. They change what they're doing. That ends up confusing the horse a lot more than if you Mm -hmm. stay consistent and just keep working through the problem and have confidence that it's going to work. You know, that's a big thing, you know, and I can understand, you know, you're, you're not getting the results you're expecting. So then you start, oh, shoot, is it something I'm doing? You know, is it something that I'm, that I'm screwing up? Right. You know, don't be afraid to, you know, that's, again, what's nice about technology these days, you know, just YouTube, any sort of horse training tips. And I'm sure, you know, there's millions of videos out there. You can find something that might just work for what, what you need help with, you know? Right. I, I still go back to my <laughs> fundamentals DVD every once in a while and go, okay, well, I'm just going to check up and make sure I'm doing this right again. <laughs> yeah. Is there one favorite exercise, down under horsemanship exercise, that you like doing with almost every horse? Ooh, okay. I'd have to say, like a riding exercise, my riding exercise, I think for groundwork, it would be backing. Mm-hmm. backing is I love getting my horses back 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 I think it's because it's such a challenge for for the horse right a lot of people don't don't get their horses to to take it serious enough you know to respond to just very small amounts of pressure so I you know as far as groundwork I think you know backing would be my favorite and then riding would have to be rollback on you know rollbacks on the fence right uh, it's an intermediate exercise but it's a, it's a good exercise because you're just you're working on so many things at once and it's such a good way to to just get a handle especially like on a green or green or you know young colt it's such a good exercise to get a handle on your horse right you know you're working on circles you're working on picking up the correct lead you're working on turns i mean you're working on just you know, overall steering. So you have to improve your riding because you're guiding that horse because you're doing this out of canters. What do you do when the horse starts to anticipate and looking at that fence, he knows you're going to stop him and roll back and maybe he's just a little bit reluctant to do that. How do you handle that that situation? You know, there's, there's several different ways you can kind of approach it. Usually what I'll just, I'll just do another circle. Just keep going the same direction. Don't mm-hmm. actually stop and turn. Just keep going. Right. And I'll try that a couple, a couple of laps. If that doesn't work, then I'll actually just, I can, I can actually just turn. I'll just turn the opposite way. So let's say I'm approaching the fence on the right side. So the horse is anticipating to turn to the right. Instead of, you know, turning to the right, I'll just immediately turn to the left, oh. go across my circle, and then go back, you know, on the same circle I was just on. Very just cool. completely redirect the complete opposite way the mind is going. You know, again, now we're working on the mind. Yeah. Hear the horses thinking about that fence. Just redirect them and go the complete opposite way. You know, initially I start, like I said, I'll just, I'll just try to ignore it and kind of keep riding through it uh, and just pushing them forward on the circle. And then if, if it's not working, I'll try something else. And, and like I said, just do a basically like a 90-degree turn the opposite way that horse is thinking. 
if you want, you can even bend, you know, break the horse down to a trot mm-hmm. or a uh, or a walk and bend him that opposite way and then let him out again. You know, just whatever you do, it's got to be the opposite of what the horse is thinking. Very cool. One last thing as we kind of wind this thing up is I always remember Clinton saying a lot of people don't do exercises for a long enough period of time for the horse to learn it, that that they generally tire out before the horse really gets the full concept. Do you think that's true? Yeah, you know, as a general rule, most people, they they quit a little bit too soon. The horse is doing good, but they they quit too soon. So I, I highly recommend to people just Go a little bit further than what you think is probably good, and you'll probably be right right on the spot. You're better you're better off kind of overdoing it than underdoing it, mm-hmm. because most horses are gonna are gonna try to chump you a little bit and test you, and try to try to regress as much as they can. You know, just always keep that in mind. You know, you're better off kind of over exaggerating it a little bit. That's part of the field timing and experience, and. I bet that really helped with your career when you started training a number of different and a wider variety of horses that you started to pick up on those things. Oh yeah, you know, that's that's your bread and butter right there. You have to have your feel has to be very good, you know, especially if you're dealing with a problem horse where you can save yourself an hours or two worth of work if you just time it right. Yeah. If you miss that timing he might be there for another, you know, hour or so. So your timing is crucial, especially especially on a horse that's older, gotten away with it and a little bit more on the stubborn side. Right. You have to again try to try to outsmart him because he's he's trained people, you know, when to mm-hmm. when to quit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you you gotta start thinking outside the box. You can't just approach it like it's something easy and that goes back to what you said about being becoming a thoughtful horseman yeah so i tell people when if your horse is having a, a meltdown with whatever it is just instead of you reacting you know because again that's instinct we want to oh you know fix it fix it fix it we we tend to react too quick and we don't even know what we're trying to really do, you know, there's no really thought process behind it. Right. So I tell people sometimes just take, take a sec. If the horse makes a mistake, chances are he's probably going to try it again. So just take a second, think about what the horse is actually doing and how you need to go about fixing it. What are the correct steps to go about fixing it, especially fixing it in, in the safest way possible. Right. Really take the time and, and and just take a step back, okay, see what's going on and and try to think your way through uh through the process a little bit and you'll be much much better off. Very good. Well, if people want to find out more about uh certified professional Clinton Anderson clinician, that's a mouthful. <laughs> Diego Gaona, where can we send them? You're more than more than welcome to uh, to look me up on Down Under Horsemanship. If you go to Down Under Horsemanship under Certified Clinicians, uh, you'll see there will be a link for Diego Galanda, and that's uh, my web page and kind of kind of gives you a little bit more information about myself and and uh, where I might be traveling to. Awesome. Has my contact information as well. You know, I'm always always open for for phone calls, questions, emails. You know, feel free 
but I am a little bit busy, you know, with, with training horses and cleaning mm-hmm. stalls, feeding horses or traveling. So, right. uh, but I will definitely get to you as soon as I can. You're available for private lessons or clinics? Yes, sir. I also offer horses in for training. Usually during the summer is kind mm-hmm. of my busier months out on the road. Okay. Uh, but during the winter time, things slow down. So I tend to take more horses in for trainings. People are interested in horses for training. I'm also starting to branch off into the reining discipline. So uh, if anybody has any interest in, in just sending horses for reining training or learning more about that, I'm also getting into that as well. Awesome. Well, I do thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule for joining us on the Woe Podcast about horses. It's been great fun, Diego. I've enjoyed following your career. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate you guys having me on the podcast. It's, uh, it's been a good, good conversation, so thank you very much. That'll do it for this week's show. We want to thank Diego Gaona for taking time out of his busy schedule to come on the Woe Podcast and tell us about his experience with Down Under Horsemanship and his life with horses. Remember, you can support the Woe Podcast by clicking on the Patreon button at woepodcast.com. Woe Podcast is in its fifth year. We have over 150 podcast episodes and well over 100 videos on YouTube. We hope you've enjoyed them all and you can show your support at patreon.com forward slash John Hare or like I said, just click on the Patreon button at woepodcast.com. We really appreciate your support. You can find the Woe Podcast at Stitcher, Instagram, Facebook, and Google Play. You can subscribe to the Woe Podcast and never miss an episode. Wouldn't that be nice? It comes right to your phone or your iPad or your computer automatically. There you go. And if you'd like to stay up to date on all things Woe Podcast, you can subscribe to our email newsletter by simply visiting woepodcast.com. We really appreciate you supporting the show and sharing this podcast with your friends. It is what has helped us keep going for five years. Thanks again for all your support. Until next time, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye.